Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'd like to welcome you to our next episode of Free Zone Frontier with my great, great partner in this right from the beginning, Steve Crane. And Steve, last time when we talked, we took a kind of a really good look at the startup health network that you've created over the last dozen years, but I've known you for two decades, and I know it's been starting in one piece or another for a long time. And we just looked at the free zones that you had created in healthcare. And my overall observation that I shared with you about six months ago was that it seems to me that you have created the first global entrepreneurial lab. And it's unlike anything I've ever seen anyone else do. Just any thoughts from our first take through of how you've created a free zone with investors, you've created free zone with the actual close to 300 now, 300 companies that you have in the Startup Health Network. And then you've created a very unusual free zone kind of funding for this and a free zone coaching program for all the entrepreneurs who are actually in the program. So the more we got into it, you could just turn a page and you had another free zone territory there. But just to describe a free zone frontier is that you increasingly create unique collaborative possibilities and payoffs that are amazingly free of competition. A little bit of reflection on what we covered last time, because I'd like to flip the switch today and have you kind of describe, certainly from the companies that are in your network and also the investors, how you've also created a free zone for them to actually approach their future differently. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's great to be here again, Dan. And as always, you know, getting ready for these episodes and kind of reflecting back, not just on the last episode or episodes we recorded, but also what we're going to talk about. I was really excited because this concept of free zones, it's just a couple of word shifts from you know, what we were calling game changer and things like that before. But this notion of free zone and creating free zones, both in your life and your business, really shifts everything into a different place. And in particular, with startup health, I think what's been fascinating, you know, we just turned eight years old a couple weeks ago. And for me, reflecting back on those eight years, I could very easily now see the different times we both created free zones and new areas where They were not just free of competition, but they were new areas for people to start thinking about growing. But I also see where we didn't and where we either struggled or were challenged. And what I wanted to touch on actually was one of the biggest reflections was the gravitational pull from the outside world when you're creating free zones and how often people on the outside, right, whether they're entrepreneurs we're talking to about investing in and coming into startup health, whether it's investors we're talking to about investing in our companies or investing in our funds. Overall, it's just this notion that everybody likes to kind of grab onto a metaphor or a concept or a type of company organization they know and bring you right back into that. And so there's a really interesting thing when you're creating a free zone frontier because you're defining a new area. And you're creating space, perhaps, in people's brains where there was no connection. And so for us, when we started talking about, and I'm going back eight years now, when we started talking about this idea of a global army of entrepreneurs collaborating together, all of a sudden, 
people grab onto, again, things they think of. Oh, you mean like a little local community or like a little local accelerator? Or, and you start to say, no, no, we're connecting entrepreneurs all over the world who previously were siloed, whether it's in their country, in their region, in their specialty, and for some people in their labs. And people who had never previously been able to connect instantly to a global network of other entrepreneurs who share mindset, who share ambition, who share those things. So that was like the first time when we started stretching it to say, wait, what do you mean global army? What do you mean? And we were forced, I think in a very healthy way, to explain that free zone frontier to people, you know, I call it in the real world, but in the outside world who had never heard of anything like that. And I think that was the first in a series of free zones that we've defined mm -hmm. over the last eight years that have given us a tremendous amount of not only unique space to play in, but over the last you know eight years, built the world's largest portfolio of health innovation companies. And as you mentioned, a virtual R&D lab where we're learning every day what works and what doesn't work who's helpful and who's not helpful across geographic boundaries or across specialties. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the first free zone we defined. I want to jump ahead a few years to when we started talking about health moonshots. And we noticed over the first few years of building startup health and building this global army that entrepreneurs were no longer just working on products and solutions and services. They were working on things like ending cancer mm -hmm. and curing disease and bringing access to care to everybody, no matter where they lived and no matter how much money they made. Working on discovering the unknown universe in the brain and demystifying brain health and the brain. And you could take this into nutrition, you could take this into longevity, but each of these health moonshots, these seemingly impossible areas were free zones that people had really never been given permission to unlock the discussion on. So rather than talk about researching cancer. We're talking about ending cancer. Mm -hmm. And I went back to a free zone that I think often people talk about from the beginning of the 60s when Kennedy took over the agency NASA, which had only been created a few years before by Eisenhower. And their mission was to just do research on space. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about this oh, vast universe to be discovered and this beyond what we had known before. But then Kennedy kind of latched onto the idea of landing a man on the moon and bringing him safely back to Earth. And all of a sudden, everybody catalyzed around this idea of a moon landing. And mm -hmm. for the next decade, it took hundreds of thousands of people, 20,000 companies, hundreds of billions of dollars, ultimately, in today's dollars, to make it happen. But it was a free zone, ultimately. Mm -hmm frontier that was defined by a person, mm -hmm. President Kennedy, but it impacted hundreds of thousands, ultimately millions of people. And so I think when I reactively or retroactively look back at eight years, we've just constantly created these free zone conversations. Mm -hmm. And there are so many, again, looking back, like I gave you the example of the President Kennedy proclamation in 1961, but we at Startup Health continue to create these free zone frontiers and ultimately help our entrepreneurs see their own free zone frontiers mm -hmm. in their own areas. And again, why these health moonshots are great examples of ultimate free zone frontiers where they can create mm -hmm. exactly the universe that you're articulating when you talk about the whole free zone frontier. 
Yeah, Steve, just a question about eight years ago and now. And in the definition of Free Zone Frontier is that you increasingly create unique collaborative possibilities and payoffs. Okay, so eight years ago, you were closer to the possibilities than you were to the payoffs. So can you zero in on what the kind of entrepreneurial muscle is required from your just reflecting back on the last eight years? And this is at you personally regarding the gravitational pull of pulling you back into existing categories. Because the existing categories are all competitive, don't share, you know, don't share things, don't share insights. So, you know, it's almost like the center of the entrepreneurial universe from the general narrative is the closer you get to the center of the entrepreneurial universe, it's secrecy, it's competition, you don't let other people know what you're thinking about. You don't know. You send your lawyers as your marketing team. You know, you send your lawyers. <laughs> so if you just yeah. reflect maybe in two or three jumps where you had payoffs that made it more confident in your mind that there was a huge payoff from this that was unlike anything that you had ever seen anywhere else, and certainly you hadn't experienced it yourself. Yeah, I think the first one I would without a doubt say is become the most important is the mindset, right? It's this notion of, do you have a traditional mindset or do you have a transformational mindset? Traditional mindset, by the way, which we all know, people are very successful at, right? Money flows, Mm -hmm. things work Mm -hmm. really like well-oiled machines, right? But there's a huge difference between traditional mindset for investors, traditional mindset for entrepreneurs, And the biggest challenge with traditional mindset is because it works fine, a lot of people choose to live there Mm -hmm. and much fewer people choose to live in the transformational mindset. Mm -hmm. And so the one ingredient that we saw right off the bat that was black and white now is do the entrepreneurs we're investing in, do the investors that we're co-investing alongside of or investing alongside of or that are investing in our fund, do they have a transformational mindset or a traditional mindset? And with no judgment about either one being bad or good, just which one do they have. And when they have traditional, you can quickly articulate, oh, they're going to be trying to bucket the investment or the company into what is their product or service? How are they making money today? And what is the number of users, customers, et cetera, they have today without any focus on the impact that those companies are making? They're not asking them about a 25-year vision or mission. They're asking them about a three-year goal, a one-year goal, and a three-month goal. And very rarely do they let themselves get beyond that. So that transformational mindset is without a doubt the one massively important ingredient for us to see the kinds of investors, entrepreneurs, et cetera, that we want to get involved with. And I think when I think about Free Zone Frontier, mindset matters most. Yes. So that's kind of one anchor The other anchor is long-term relationships. I don't just say relationships, but really long-term. When you look at anybody, right, look around them, their family, their personal life, as much as their business life, and see what kind of long-term relationships they have around them. Very quickly, you'll see that the people with the transformational mindset 
who also surround themselves with people with long-term relationships and people around them that they rely on and depend on, again, personal and professional, Mm -hmm. you see a really different shift in what's possible for them to achieve. They're almost like freed up. Again, it's another free zone frontier, right? Long-term relationships. And are they proudly, I love your, you know, who do you want to be hero to? They proudly want to be a hero to those in their immediate personal life as well, whether it's their spouse, whether it's their children, Mm -hmm. whether it's their extended family, as much as their team and their customers, Mm -hmm. right? They kind of have that there. And then the third of these collaborative capabilities, and I do think it's important, you know, we talk about collaboration, but you have to have a certain mindset to work on a moonshot, but you have to have collaborative capabilities on top of that, Mm -hmm. not as part of that. And I think I've gotten a great deal of appreciation for those that see collaboration as a way to develop everything, whether again, it's their personal life or their professional life. You did an exercise several quarters ago about the successful collaborations you want to bring with you for the next 25 years. And, you know, I quickly picked up and put Rebecca, my wife in the, and I I wasn't saying it to you, I was saying it to the listeners, my wife, Rebecca into there to who I want to be a hero to, because my biggest collaboration in life is without a doubt, my family and my children. Mm -hmm. And looking at my marriage as a collaboration, but also my parenting responsibilities and capabilities as a collaboration as well. And so when you start to look around at successful collaborations, you can kind of see how that translates to the business life too. And so those three, mindset, relationships, and collaboration. Yeah, it was kind of funny. In the early days of Coach, this goes back to the 1970s, one of the kind of early great opportunities we got was that we tapped in to the whole network of the really top life insurance agents in the world. And when I dug a little bit deeper, I saw that virtually the top life insurance agents have almost an exclusively entrepreneurial clientele. Because, you know, if you compare a corporate market to an entrepreneurial market, the opportunities for growth are just extraordinary more in the entrepreneurial marketplace than there are in the corporate or just ordinary insurance market. But there were some people, you know, I mean, their chief characteristic is that they were greedy looking for other greedy people. You know, you could tell the agents they were really into greed. They had mastered greed and actually got into greed. And years later, one of them had started with me and didn't, you know, went for a while and then there just wasn't, you know, any kind of electricity there. So we were talking about this individual and somebody says, well, I met an old friend of his and I said, I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's possible for you to meet an old friend of his. (laughs) Because every year he'd have a complete set of new friends, but they were all only for business reasons and they were only for greed reasons. I said, I don't think he's got any old friends, you know. And I really check that out with people. You know, we go back 23 years right now, you know, and I've got so many individuals that it's just been this marvelous kind of growth experience that we've had together and we check in notes, but we're kind of impressed by the transformations that we see in others and they kind of inspired transformations in us. So you're so right, Steve, about that this is strictly a transformational game. It can't be about traditional success or traditional status. The one area you talked about your investors and then you talked about your actual you know, the entrepreneurial companies, but there's a third thing, that's the medical industry itself is very bound by 
status, you know, traditional status, gravitational. And that's the reason why, for the most part, it's not really a, a healthcare system. It's actually a disease management system because yeah, my- there's a lot of cash flow in disease management, but never curing. Yeah. Well, that was the thing that struck me about this unique thing that's happening in this industry is that the insurance companies, the pharmaceutical companies, the hospital systems, the healthcare companies, they're all investing in innovation. I'm going to put that in quotes because they are deploying a lot of capital. But what's really interesting, and we've worked with a lot of them and we get to see inside of these collaborations or these attempted collaborations on a regular basis, a lot of them get stuck by the traditional mindset and bureaucracy within the organizations. And why Free Zone Frontier in particular in healthcare is incredibly difficult is because the industry is not broken. The experience is completely broken. (laughs) And the actual users, the patients, the families, it's a completely broken approach and broken system. But the healthcare industry, the people who are making the money are making a boatload of money. (laughs) The medicines, the care the hospital stays, the insurance premiums, there's lots of money flowing through that. So when you're asking those very people to focus on new areas that might disrupt people going to a hospital because they can get taken care of at home or having to not take medicine anymore because they don't get sick or not needing to take advantage of all the insurance coverage because they're not utilizing it. All the things that ultimately make the system run are the gravity of the free zone frontier. Yeah. That don't allow it to happen. So it's an interesting dynamic. And one of the reasons why we are so excited and passionate about this global army of entrepreneurs and innovators linking arms is because there is over the next 10, 20, 30 years, a real opportunity to end cancer as we know it, to bring access to care to everyone in the world. But it's not going to happen with the traditional mindset, and it's not going to happen with the traditional players, and it's not going to happen with traditional investors, and it's certainly not going to happen with traditional-minded entrepreneurs. Again, you want to make money, you want to do things just now in low impact? Absolutely. But if you really want to make the real impact, we've got to shift into a different mindset with different relationships and different collaboration, which is why I think the free zone frontier metaphor works so well, but it's definitely not going to be easy and it's not obvious. Yeah. The other thing about, I think the gravitational pull is really a great example. And I just, in a recent workshop where I was talking about free zone frontier, I said to people, you know, I went to a college where all you did is read the great books of the Western world going back 2,500 years. And some of the most intriguing books were on astronomy, and there was an astronomical model that was established roughly about 2,000 years ago, you know, in the Middle East, Babylon, and Egypt. But they had to, for a lot of reasons, they had to make sense of the heavens for predictive reasons. You know, when are eclipses coming? When do the seasons change? What happens with the moon? But the model they started with was that at the center is the Earth and everything's revolving around the Earth, okay? And the explanations for, you know, the star fields, that that wasn't a hard thing because the stars don't move in the star fields, you know, the far stars. They're pretty well the same. They move every 12 months and they could do that. 
But the biggest things were the moon, the sun, and the planets, the inner planets and the outer planets, because these were kind of like somethings that moved, and sometimes they went fast, sometimes they went slow. But they came up with these incredibly complicated explanations of why they behaved the way they did, and they were accurate. So even though their explanation was totally wrong, they could actually put predictability into it. So if you take that to the healthcare and medical feeling, it's incredibly complicated, but there's some predictability to the movement forward of the industry. And then 1600s, Copernicus comes up with a notion. He says, what if we flip the model and we put the sun in the center and everything is in reference to the sun as far as the planetary system goes? And it was incredibly simpler. I mean, it was... 90% simpler, but it wasn't as good predictions because Copernicus thought that the orbits were circular and they're not circular. And then Kepler, 80 years later, he said, well, the sun is in the center, but the orbits of the Earth and the planets, they're elliptical and they're not the same shape of elliptical. Sometimes they seem like they're going really fast. Sometimes they're slowing down for Mercury and Venus. It looks like they're going backwards. But he says all in the middle, and all of a sudden, everything shifted. You know, every mindset of every body of knowledge. It wasn't just astronomy. It was religion. It was philosophy. It was just how we make sense of things on the planet. And it's just a mind shift. And the thing with your moonshots, no, the whole point isn't to manage this. The whole point is to cure it. Okay, And I remember Chip Mock, who's another free zone frontiers person in our program together, he created, you know, a cure in a particular area where it's been disease management for 130 years. And he went around to the big people who should be just so excited about this. And they said, cure, cure, cure. Let me look that up in the dictionary. Cure. Oh, oh, you mean they're cured and they don't come back again. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, you can't have a cash flow model with cure. And I think that's really, you know, the gravitational field is as long as you can keep the cash flow going, why would you want to get to a cure? I mean, you want to show improvement. You want to show intention to improve. You want to make people feel better and you want to raise them. But cure, I don't know about this thing, cure. Yeah. And look, that's a big, you know, it's funny. I'm looking at the Free Zone Frontier graphic that has the dotted line around it. And it's ironically, or maybe not ironically, looks like the orbit around someone or something. And it occurs to me that many moons ago, you talked about going against gravity and you kind of honored the I think it was 20 or 30, maybe even 35 items that are quickly the gravitational pull that entrepreneurs face when they go out and try to, I think it probably was around, you know, time system and around Mm -hmm. a lot of the other concepts. But this one in particular, I think, lends itself to what are the gravitational pulls? What is the going against gravity of the free zone frontier? Because therein lies, I think, or I believe the answer to what will give people the free zone frontier in their mind to really live in a different zone Mm -hmm. and live in a different zone. Like I know I live in the free zone frontier most of the time, but I think there's a big struggle. I know that most entrepreneurs struggle again with the gravitational pull of the traditional world they live in or that most people live in that they're talking to every day. So unlocking that, 
could be a useful construct to almost own up to those. And just an outside observation, because you've kept me very informed about you know, the 360 degrees of your life, not just the business part of your life. But if you wrote down just what you accomplished in the last eight years on one side, and they said, gee, that's incredible how you did that, and said, and I never worked nights, and I was always home with my family on weekends. All of a sudden, people oh, 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 no, 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 that violates, you know, go big, go home, you know, if you're not at it <laughs> 80 hours a week, you're not serious about it. You got to forget about a personal life. But in fact, the personal life was at the center of the free zone frontier. That's where the freedom starts and goes outward. Yeah, that adds a whole other incredibly exciting dimension to the whole conversation, right? Which is, if you're talking about a free zone frontier in business, without talking about a free zone frontier in your personal life, you're missing the magic of both, right? Which is, it's a life choice and a decision, regardless of when you make it, that ultimately the real benefit is on both sides, right? So I think there is some good parallels to that, Dan, where my personal life has been a free zone frontier. And for you know 20 years, come back to the sharing of the time system and strategy circle and original stuff and the foundation of strategic coach that allowed me to have free zone frontiers over oh, the course yeah. of my life. I think it's interesting because I've never, until this conversation, seen that it's a series of free zone frontiering. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you No, call, that's exactly right. It's like a buildup of muscle. On each other. And so they're muscles, right? I talk about mindsets being muscles, but I think they're a series of muscles. And if you keep peeling back the onion, they're like the atomic habits from the atomic habits book we were talking yep. about. It's all these series of little things mm-hmm. that add up to living a life of free zone frontiering all around. Yeah. I want to tell you something that's a takeaway for me was you're saying, you know, the system, the way it's traditionally set up, actually works. There's an enormous amount of money that's actually created by the system the way it works. It's just that the entire experience inside that system is completely broken. And people are suffering today from broken experiences. They're not suffering from broke, I mean, in our part of the world, they're not suffering from broken systems that don't work. I mean, if you fly, the air traffic control system of the United States is just phenomenal. I mean, if you have a crash these days, I mean, it's headline news. They went four years. I think it was, you know, it was like four million flights without an accident. Well, in the 50s, they used to have 10, 15 a year, and you thought it was normal. But I have to tell you, the experience of commercial air flight is a broken experience. Oh, yeah. And on the medical side, when was the last time you heard somebody say they went to the hospital for something horrible Now, the nurses might have been incredible, right? Great care by the nurses, great care by the doctor, but the experience was horrible. And the punchline in all of it is they get the big bill at the end, right? Or the 10 bills at the end. And all of a sudden, you see how cash flow rich the system is, right? Mm -hmm. And yet the experience left them with both a horrible taste in their mouth and ultimately of feeling like there has to be a better way. And by the way, that's at every level. I don't care yeah. how high-end you go. Beyond the you know Canyon Ranches and tests out there and a nice concierge experience at one level, it's a mess beyond that. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, really terrific. You know, I mean, my head is spinning from all the possibilities for our next episodes. So, Steve, just as a parting thought, so I give you a little bit of homework, you know, before we talk again, both in the actual program, the Free Zone Frontier, but also our next podcast, what would be an area right now where you're back again exploring another place that's kind of broken that you say, I think another free zone frontier is possible to create here through unique collaboration. I'm just wondering what you're seeing right now. I don't know the answer, and I didn't really pick on it. You're the one at the center of your particular free zone frontier universe. So I think when we launched Startup Health in 2011, it was very difficult for the entrepreneurs who were starting companies or building companies to feel like they were the buyer out there when they were talking to customers or investors or prospective customers or investors. So I think therein lied a very natural feeling that they were always selling and had to be selling. And I think that as a result, they go into every fundraising meeting, they go into every customer pitch, they go into every hiring or potential meeting to hire someone, Mm -hmm. selling, overselling, feeling like they're just, you know, doing that. And I really feel like not only the market shift, but also the confidence shift because of the free zone frontier they're playing in where they should be the buyer, not the seller. Mm -hmm. And they should be trying to find the investors that they will allow to invest in their company, the kinds of customers they will like to collaborate with, the kind of team members they would love to collaborate with and see themselves as a buyer and be confident and not in an arrogant way, but in a very confident way that they should be very selective with who they bring into their orbit. I have just countless examples of entrepreneurs who had their guard down because, oh, green money, I don't care, it's all the same color, isn't true because it's really easy to talk about all the good things that investors could do when it's in good times or how great a customer would be to have their logo on your deck or on your website. But when push comes to shove and things are difficult, whether it's a challenge with your company or a challenge with their experience or whatever it is, that's when the real personality and character shines through and their values. And so I've really worked hard to kind of really help the entrepreneurs in Startup Health see that they should be out there as the buyer, not the seller. Yeah. And so every meeting they walk into, walk in with a clear filter for the kinds of people they're looking for. And we've been doing this for years ourselves. Interestingly enough, the more I've shared with prospective investors in our fund, as I've shared with entrepreneurs, what kind of entrepreneurs we're looking for, it's been a shift in the conversation to almost feel more like we're interviewing them, they're not interviewing us. Mm -hmm. I think that's really magical, especially, it's very freeing, by the way for an entrepreneur field. So we're really trying to reflect on that as we not only continue to add companies to our portfolio, but also bring investors into our network and really see that it doesn't matter that they're just investors and they want to meet companies. It's what can we learn about them that can be helpful to the companies before they walk in the door so that they can effectively be in the buyer seat, not the seller seat. That's a big shift. Yeah. I mean, talk about a flip of gravitational flow. That would be a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, very fascinating. I expect this to go on forever. 
what's your duration? My duration is forever until the game is taken away from me. So anyway, thanks a lot, Steve. Great talking to you, Dan. See you very soon. Yep, couple weeks. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.